Uh, open that up. If you got them on your phone, you want to open that up. We're going to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 18. Uh, we're going to spend some time kind of unpacking this narrative. How many of you know the, the Bible is narrative, okay? Um, if you approach it like it's a reference book, okay, you're going to be disappointed because it's a narrative first, all right? It's told, that's why <clears throat> we have so many problems with people looking at and explaining creation, right, with details and scientific facts because it wasn't meant to be written. It was written as a story, as a narrative. Uh, one healthy practice, if you're reading scriptures, is what I, I, I call the 2020 rule. Uh, if there's a verse that sticks out to you, one that you, you like, um, that's speaking to you, read 20 verses before and read 20 verses after. It's a healthy practice to set it in context, okay? Because so many times we see just uh, scriptures pulled out, sewn on pillows, and we love it, and we go, that's a great life verse, but it's totally out of context. So uh, that's what we're talking about. In this chapter 18, you're going to see a lot of um, and I encourage you to read it uh, on your own time. Uh, 17 and 18 is a great start. It's this journey as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem for the last time. And he tells stories. He tells these parables that illustrate points. And the points by themselves are great, okay? You've, you and I have probably heard messages wrapped around them before. Uh, but it, it builds to this kind of crescendo where this man approaches Jesus with this question. And all of a sudden, we're, we learn a lot about... Um, about what Jesus is really teaching, kind of the underlining, if you will. So I'm gonna read this and then we're gonna pray and just jump into the deep end. Luke chapter 18, verse 31. <clears throat> and taking the 12, this is Jesus, uh, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, isn't it interesting he's talking in third person? <laughs> Like, that is interesting, Jesus. Uh, no wonder they might be confused. After flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. And then it says this about the disciples, but they, being them, understood none of these things. Uh, this saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. This is um, something you see very common with, with the disciples, this confusion. Um, Jesus said something, and you go, huh? Anyone ever done that before? Can we be honest in church today? I think we've been there before. Uh, we say, God, I think I know what you're saying. And then you come to find out later, you're like, okay, that wasn't it. Or there was something much bigger you wanted to get into my heart. Have you ever been spoken to something like God has spoken into a situation in your life and, and you've wanted to let go of something? You've wanted to move past an identity that you know you're not supposed to live in only to go back to it and fail and come with shame and guilt. Anyone done that? Not so eager to raise our hands there. I think we all do. This is what I wanna tap into today. I think this is the truth that God wants to, to unpack for us. So let's pray and just invite the Holy Spirit to do what he does best. Uh, Holy Spirit, we're here today. Um, our tension's on you. And uh, there's many times, God, that we come to a place like this and and we expect to a spiritual moment. God, we don't want a spiritual moment, we want you. And whatever that looks like, whether that's challenging, whether that's encouraging God, we just want you. And so Holy Spirit, just begin to do what you do best. Your words, your impressions, your heart, your, the way you do things is so good. It's so beyond even our capabilities as man. I stand up here with words, God. And, you know, it, it, we have only limited amount of senses, God, and yet your Holy Spirit is unleashed upon all the senses. May we experience you today, God, and hear you. In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. All right, in your best Hebrew, everyone say, Halakha. Nicely done. Halakha is translated as in go and walk. The rabbis would put them together and put it as a definition, the way you walk. Now, what is this and why is this important? Uh, when a rabbi began teaching, especially down during second temple times, there was a struggle of what do we do with all these commands? Like we have all these commands that God's giving us in the Torah and they're good things. They're instructions for us, how to live life. But when you read them, some things stand out as important and other things just kind of like, oh, I don't see why that's as important as this one. And, and thus began kind of the debates of what they would call heavier and, and lighter. 
they would say, uh, this commandment is, is heavier, it's weightier. And so uh, you'll, see, you'll hear them talk about it more. You'll hear them uh, uh, explain it, use illustrations more around it versus some of the lighter. Th- Here's a, the greatest example you can think of. Jesus was asked, uh, what's the greatest commandment in the world, right? I mean, you have all these commands and Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's his halakha. That's his way of walking. So he's, he's stringing, they call it stringing pearls. It's connecting these dots between uh, not just um, all the commandments, but these ones seem to kind of rise up and it is, it is the way that a rabbi would walk. Another way to say it is um, his uh, yoke, his teaching. It, it, it had a certain style. When you read Jesus uh, and, and his teachings, don't, don't certain things just stand out more than others? That's his halakha. And every rab, rabbi had a halakha, a, a way to walk. And that's what they would teach. Would They'd teach their yoke. And in those days... Many, many of those halakas had a lot of requirements. They were very weighty and they had, and versus what Jesus brings was very light and simple and graceful. And you see that throughout the scriptures. But you see this definitely in, in chapter 18 and verses seven and verses chapter 17 and 18 of Luke. You'll see Jesus is giving these truths, but he's also laying out his halakha, part of his teachings, part of a heavier thing, something that you'll see not just in Jesus' teaching, but something that you'll be able to connect throughout the whole of Scripture. Does that make sense? So Jesus begins his ministry, he's baptized. Father God speaks over him. This is my son, right? who, whom I'm well pleased with, right? He goes into the desert. He's tempted 40 days. He withstands that, right? He walks through that. And then the very next kind of narrative we're told of is he walks into a synagogue on Sabbath, on Shabbat. And he goes in there and it says an attendant gives him the, the, the scroll, the Torah, right? Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And he would begin to read, you've heard this before, right? Uh, and then he put it down and he, sa- he would say, he read from uh, Isaiah 61, uh, which we all know is a prophetic uh, prophecy given about the coming Messiah, the hope for the Israelites, the, the coming uh, warrior, the coming uh, conqueror, the Messiah. Mashiach. I mean, this is the guy we've all been waiting for. Jesus reads about it, rolls up the Torah, puts it down, and he he begins to teach and says, this has been fulfilled today. Boom, mic drop, walk away. (laughs) And and we've all known the story, but there's actually a lot deeper kind of uh, layers to it. And and I want to share it to you because you got to understand how how detailed God is with things. Everyone say, Haftorah. Haftorah, it can sometimes be called Haftarah. Um, it is this, the prescribed three-year reading plan for synagogue. So if you were a good Jewish person, you would attend a synagogue, and this was very true in Jesus' day. Jesus was very much Jewish, and he would have been in Sabbath at, San, at synagogue, like we read about. And during the teachings there, it was a way that they could teach, because remember, not all communities, not everyone had a Bible then, right? You had a one Torah role for the community, and that was in the synagogue. So when you taught it during synagogue, it was listened. The, the idea was let's read through the scriptures in a three year cycle. And that's what they did. They built these kind of prescribed uh, readings of the scriptures of the Torah throughout a three year plan. They still practice this today, only now it's only one year they've condensed it to. So they would read the scripture that was prescribed that day, and then they would teach from it. Now think of this, Jesus happened to be a rabbi and he happened to be in this one synagogue on the one day that they happened to be reading out of the three-year plan, Isaiah chapter 61, the one prophecy that describes him and his purpose and his mission as Messiah. I mean, I'm telling you, the odds of that lining up that way, the stars must have been in a funky place because, man, to think about that he happened to be there and happened to unroll this and declare Isaiah 61. And then he rolled it up and he put it down. He said, today, this is true. What? 
And that's what I want to read today to you because I believe it, it gives us an, uh, the, the earliest purpose, the earliest origins, the genesis of, of Jesus's uh, halakah, if you will. And it's found in Isaiah 61. We're going to just read verses one through three. This is what he would have read in the synagogue that day as he unrolled the scrolls. He would have said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness. Oh, and he winds it up and he says, today this has been fulfilled. It's fulfilled in your life and it's fulfilled in mine. Look at this though. I wanna pay attention to this last part. I want you to look at these words and I want you to see what is happening because this really uh, gleans into what he's trying to teach. The, the, it's, he's popping the hood, if you will. He's looking in the engine and we're getting details. Here's what he says he's going to do, that he's gonna bring comfort to those who mourn. He's gonna give a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. For you, he's gonna give gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. God, in this weird way, is in this exchange program, and he's saying, you come to me, you bring me this, and I will give you this. Now, I've traveled around the world, not extensively, but I've had an opportunity to visit many places. And you can tell, you know, when you get off an airplane in a different country, sometimes things are different right away. And other times, they're not so different, they're more subtle. You know, if you were to go to, uh, you know, uh, let's say Africa, you might have a different experience if you go to London, right? And they all have different customs and way they do things. But I'll tell you the one thing I love about coming back to America is this, that I know for the most part, I can go anywhere in America. I can buy something and if I don't like it or I don't want it, I have the option to take it back to the store and either return it for my money or exchange it for something else, right? And this is not common around the world. Like this is, this is definitely more of an American thing. And I love, listen, I love to return things. I am the exchange. I shouldn't say this here, but man, I, if, if, if you buy me a gift, all right, you're buying me a gift card, all right? That's because I'm gonna return it more than likely and I'm gonna get something that I really want. Who, anyone else like that? Three people being honest, you liars. <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. And, and one of my favorite places, Costco. Oh, God bless Costco. I love it. You can, I mean, they're, they're so generous. They're so good with their returns. Uh, I, it was probably about 10 years ago now. Uh, we were living on the East Coast, and we went to Costco and purchased an uh, outdoor patio, right? And, and it was nice. St solid steel. It had uh, slate tiles, um, big chair, tall chairs, an umbrella. It was like $1,500, $1,600. It, was, uh, like, it, it cost us a lot, but we used it a lot. We loved it. And then after, it was about a year, I went and washed uh, the tile with a power washer, which wasn't too bright. Um, and it started chipping some of the uh, slate away. I was like, oh, that's not good. And then all of a sudden, like it just all started falling apart. It started rusting and some of the chairs were breaking. Uh, the umbrella, it was like all in one swoop. And I'm like, babe, <laughs> it's been a year, I think. Costco's great. I don't know though. <laughs> I don't know. So we loaded up. I'm telling you. And I'm, listen, I got guts. I'll go exchange anything. Like, I'm, I, what's the worst you're going to tell me? No? Okay. That's, that's it. So I, I packed this up. 
I wheel it in. I mean, it's, it's, you know, just in shambles there. Everyone's kind of looking at me like, what is he doing? Is he really thinking? And I'm, I'm getting nervous. I'm like, I don't know about this. This, this isn't very smart. And we'll see. Get up there. And she's like, what's your name? She finds it. She doesn't even look at the table. She, okay. She's just like, okay, you got a table. It didn't, okay. And she's looking it up and she goes, I can't find it. I'm like, I, I don't know what to tell you. It's in there. And she says, maybe it was longer than the, this time. I don't know. I said, you know, it's up to you. And she goes, well, no lie. How much do you think you bought it for? <laughs> what? <laughs> like I said, I love Costco, man. I said, I think it was 1600 around there. And she goes, okay, well, let's just do it for that. Yes, I could not believe it. A year later, I was able to return it, man, uh, for store credit, of course, right? Because <laughs> that's the deal, isn't it? Like, we, we, we can do this. We, we're a part of this. We can go to any store. But there's still rules, right? There's still regulations. Like, there's still things. Like, this is still part of our culture. You could even go. Have you ever been to a place that says uh, all sales are final? And you're like, what's going on here? <laughs> Like, is something shady happening? Like, why don't you want me to return it? Is there something wrong with it? Right? Right? We're so used to this. <laughs> and this is, this, is, this is what we're talking about. Like, you have this, this standard, even in our world, in, in the generous kind of country we live in, there are still rules. Like, you can't just bring in a t-shirt and be like, can I have that 80-inch TV instead? Right? You can't do that. They'd laugh at you. They'd think you're foolish. Because it still has to equal somewhat, even if you barter, right? The idea is that we're both walking out of this with equal amounts. But here, you have Jesus reading this about himself and the heart of God, and it's a totally whacked exchange program. I mean, look at this. He's like, uh, you bring your mourning, and I'll bring you comfort, you bring your ashes. What value does ashes have? There's no value. I was trying to think about it. Like, can you repurpose ashes for anything? You can't. It's just, it's done. And he's like, bring me that. Bring me that. And I'll, get, I'll bring you a beautiful headdress. Bring me your mourning and I'll bring gladness. Bring me a faint spirit. I'll give you garment of praise. Bring me your hard heart and I'll give you a heart of flesh. Give me your adopted spirit and I'll give you the spirit or give me your uh, broken, uh, what, what, uh, what am I looking at? What? Broken and contrite spirit. Bring that and I'll bring you wholeness, right? I'll make you an adopted son, an adopted daughter. It's so whacked. It's so out of balance, right? It doesn't seem right. You bring me your this, your, your, your addictions. You bring me your, your, your history, your family line. Like I, I have a friend of mine. He's like fifth generation pastor. Fifth generation pastor. I don't even know five generations in my family, right? And they're definitely not pastors, right? I've got addiction in my past. I've got brokenness. My dad was a printer. He wasn't a pastor. There was nothing that said on my resume, you should be a pastor. And yet God says, bring me that brokenness. Bring me that history, that family line. And I'm going to give you this purpose and this calling. And this is what he does. And he doesn't just do this one time. It, it, it's like it just bleeds through the scriptures as you read it. It's all throughout there. You can see how they connect. God is in the, the habit of taking these, these bad things, these horrible things, these things that we identify with and trading them for something else. God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a moment of pain. He'll use it. Give it to me and I'll give you this. It's always bigger. It's always better. It's such a bad business deal. It really is. But that's God. And that's who he is. And that's what he's telling you today. Check this out. Matthew uh, chapter 11, verse 25. This is Jesus. He says, at, at the time, um, or at, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and the understanding. You revealed them 
to little children. Once again, he's showing this uh, paradox, if you will. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And then he gives this instruction about it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, another word, his halakha, his teaching, his, his, his way to walk upon us, and learn from me, for I'm gentle, I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. This instruction, though, comes with this, with this um, imperative to come. You have to come. You have to bring these, the anxiety. You have to bring this worry. You have to bring this addiction. And, and, and when you, we do come to the Father, he says, let me give you this, for mine is way lighter. The disciples even get on it, and Peter writes about it. He says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, what? Casting all your anxieties. Your version might say all your troubles on him, because he cares for you. So there's this instruction that the Scripture's giving us, that when we have these things, that we're to bring them, we're to come to God, and we're to cast it on him. What does that look like? Me and my wife, we've been wrestling with this for a couple of weeks now and asking the question, what does it really look like to cast your cares, your anxieties, your troubles on God? About five years ago, some of you know me and my wife's story. We planted a church in downtown Denver and God was doing some amazing things. You know, but long story short, we had changed a lot of venues. And by the time we got to our fourth venue within two years, we were very slim and things were, it was obviously winding down, which was hard for us. It was like giving birth to a baby is the best way to kind of describe it. And, and all of a sudden now we're saying goodbye to this. We're letting it go. And, and it was hard on top of that, someone that we knew that within the church had called CPS on, on us, Child Protective Services, and, and made these outlandish claims. Just, it's just evil. Just, there was abuse and drug abuse, and, and uh, there was abuse with the kids. and I mean, just stuff that was so far out of our minds that we were like, what? Who would do this? Our home was invaded and they were pulled our kids aside, interviewing them and asking them questions. And we're just like, God, what is, oh, and it scarred us. We, we closed the church down. I didn't want anything to do with church. What made it worse is I didn't know who had called and done this. So now all of a sudden, everyone in my life was a suspect. Did you do this? Because I couldn't imagine anyone, even my greatest enemy, doing something that evil and so horrific. And yet, it was someone I knew. I had scars. I had this, this uh, hindrance to step into relationships, to, to relationships I already knew. And I walked with this. Now, I don't tell you to, this to, to say, oh, bummer, and oh, woe me. Because the truth is, is God, God has recovered and healed us. It's been a process, but man, it's been so good. And, and Jubilee's been a, a, a safe haven for that, for us to grow in that. But I gotta tell you, when I get with God and, and I lay that down, there are many, many times that I walk away going, yes, God, all right, this is awesome. You're doing, what is this? I picked it back up. <laughs> and I cast it back and I'm like, God, you know, I get with him and I feel that once again, that sonship, right? That, that adopted heart. And I go, okay, God. And all of a sudden I'm like, I picked that thing up again. And it's this art of, of, of almost living life where you've got to completely cast and always practicing it. Just cast it, cast it on him, come to him and cast it on him. And yet so many of us don't do this. So many of us, we, we live with our weaknesses and we live in, in a false identity and we walk around with this and, and, and God's like, either you don't know about this exchange program or you do and you're just choosing not to be a part of it. What is it? 
Why is it that we walk away from this deal? Because, man, I don't know about you, but you see this deal and you go, this is a steal. Like, I'm getting the better end of this. But the truth is, sometimes we pick that thing back up and it becomes who we are. What is that? I, I call it the Mephibosheth syndrome. How many of you know Mephibosheth in the scriptures? Yes, he's a very uh, small character in the Bible. Uh, king David, we all know King David. Uh, before King David ruled, there was a King Saul. And between any change in regime, you know that there's gonna be tension, right? Uh, no one that is king never wants to not be king, right? You usually want to continue that reign. And so there was a war kind of between the two, David and Saul kind of going back and forth. But in the middle of the struggle, this friendship butted up. Uh, Saul's son was named Jonathan and David became close friends with Jonathan. And they befriended each other so much that after Jonathan's passing, uh, it was a big deal for David to make a promise to do something for his line, for the line of Saul, uh, where, where Jonathan came from. And so you find this verse where David, uh, in the middle of 2 Samuel, is, is calling out and asking, is there anyone from the house of Saul that I can honor for this, that I can because of my love for Jonathan, because of you know, uh, the, the, the great friendship that we had, I want to honor him somehow. And they said, there's one person left. His name is Mephibosheth. And you have to say that really carefully if you're on stage, okay? Because otherwise you're a YouTube clip. <laughs> so I had to practice. And, and he said, there's a boy. His name's Mephibosheth. And there's, he's a good guy. The only thing is he's, he's crippled. He can't walk. And there's a whole story behind it, but, but David says, you know, bring him here, bring him here. And he brings him into the court. Now he's 10 miles away, roughly, we find out. Why would he be 10 miles away? Because he's scared. Like he's the last one left of the Saul's regime. And, and what does every other king in the world do in that case? <sighs> yeah, you're gone. Like take that lineage out. So he may be hiding, fearful of the king. We don't know what it is. He's, 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 he's not greatness. I mean, he has, he's, he's, got, uh, he's lame. He can't walk. Nothing about him would scream, you should be in the kingdom or a king. And yet David brings him in. And this is the conversation he has with uh, Mephibosheth's servant found in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It says, then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and he said to him, all that belong to Saul and to all his house, I've given to your master's grandson, Mephibosheth. And you and your sons and your son's servants shall till the land for him and shall bring him in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Think about that. This nobody this nobody who's out doing who knows what, living in fear, all of a sudden the king is saying, you have a place at my table. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. One last part. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table, but he was lame. So I need two volunteers. Any, any volunteers? I just need two. Yeah, come on up here. Grab a seat here. I need one more. Anyone? Yeah, come on up. Come on up. Grab a seat. Yep. I want to show this to you because I think this, this is important where we get caught up. Okay. See, you ask, why don't we take part of this exchange sometime? Well, sometimes we live with this Mephibosheth kind of complex, right? Um, trust. It comes down to trust. It does. Like this whole idea, this, this whole thing, it's trusting that God is going to actually exchange the good for the bad, isn't it? But some of us, we don't have that trust. We, 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 we've been burned before. Um, I, I was telling the story of when I was a kid, we went to Showbiz Pizza, which is now Chuck E. Cheese. 
Um, unfortunately, loved showbiz. But we were at a birthday party and they were, they were handing out like five bucks to all the kids to go get tokens and play the games, right? And you'd, you'd get these tokens and you'd play the games and get these tickets and you'd bring a pile of tickets and go buy, you know, something big. And, and I had the great idea, let's pool all our tickets together, guys, and, and we'll buy the grand prize. And so we all played these games and we piled all these tickets and we stood up at, the, at the, um, all the awards. You always start at the top, right? You're like, as a kid, you're like, nope, 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 no, no. Then you're in the glass case, right? <laughs> Where this... Where the sticky fingers, you know, that you just, you're like, so we end up getting one of those Chinese finger toys. Have you seen that? <laughs> you, you stick your fingers in like this and you can't pull them out, right? And we're passing around all these kids. And I, I remember having this just, dawn, this dawned on me as walking out. I'm holding this. I'm like, did we just spend $40 on a Chinese finger toy? Like we got ripped off, man. <laughs> A seed of mistrust was planted in my heart that day. <laughs> Anytime I walk by carnival games, I'm like, uh-uh, you're just trying to get my money, man. <laughs> my kids are like, dad, please, uh-uh, uh-uh. They're all Chinese finger toys, son. <laughs> right? But we've been burned somehow. And so in the back of our mind is this kind of, well, what if what, if, what, if what I hand over is, is more valuable than what you give back to me? Like, I've done this before. I've given this exchange before. Maybe it was even with a person. You're like, I got burned, man. And so there's this hesitancy. But then there's this other idea. Listen to this. That sometimes we don't make this exchange because we find comfort in our wounds. We find comfort in our mourning. We find identity in our ashes. Right? Like, the worry and the anxiety and, and whatever it is that, that, that you're walking through, it, it's, it's been so much a part of our lives that, let me show you how this works. See, we know that everything that we eat, you have almost like a seed inside of you, everything that you need from, from God in Christ Jesus. We know this. So all the possibilities, all the opportunities in your identity is already sewn up in you, in your DNA, okay? We know that. And so we can walk in confidence, knowing who we are, what we're called to. We're more than conquerors, right? We're a royal priesthood. These are, these are things to build us up. Yes, this is who we are. And we do this. We come to church. We're like, yes, God, you know, I'm a mighty warrior and this and that. And then what do we do? We get back into our weakness, why? Because we know it. It's comfortable. I've sat in this every day. Like, if I don't have this, then who am I? Right? Sometimes our identity is so sewn into this idea that we don't make the exchange because we just keep coming back and getting into it and sitting in it and walking in it again. And that's not what God wants. We think, I can't, I can't come, right? There's this idea like, you don't know how much of a mess I am, man. Like, I, I am a mess. If I come like this to God, are you kidding me? I'm a nobody. And yet he calls, come, come, heavy laden, you brokenhearted. Come with your addictions and your identities. wonder what would happen if we would walk in this. Watch this. See, you don't have to be cleaned up. You don't have to be washed and saved and, and all shiny to come to God. He just says, come. And when we come to the king's table, something happens. Now question, with me sitting next to these guys at this table, what don't you see as well? The chair, the wheelchair, the thing that I identify with, the thing that I've grown to know that's been a part of me. But when I'm at the king's table, it don't matter. <laughs> it don't matter. 
come with me with your brokenness, your hard hearts, your, your orphan spirit, and I will give you a heart of flesh. See, when we're sitting at the king's table, we always think, oh, the king's watching me. These guys, everyone else in the church is watching me. Can I tell you this? When we're really at the king's table, no one's looking at you. <laughs> Where are we looking? I'm looking at the king, baby. I'm at the king's table. I shouldn't be here. I have no right to be here. It was the last place I expected to be, just like Mephibosheth, but yet God calls. Come, come. Come to me, come to the table, bring it to the king's table. I promise you, the thing you have is small in comparison at the king's table. Give these guys a hand. Does this make sense? Are, are you seeing this? Now, like I said, you're gonna, you're gonna start seeing this throughout the scriptures. It's so poignant, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you're kind of awake to it and you see what God is, is talking about. You see uh, a narrative there where Mephibosheth embraces this, right? He walks in and he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna exchange it, God. I've got nothing to bring, but I will gladly take a seat at the table. But what happens when we don't do that? What happens if we're a little more stubborn? Uh, well, Luke chapter 17, leading into 18, and all of 18 builds into this crescendo where we actually see this happen. And so Jesus, once again, he's telling these parables, and all the parables, when you have a minute, you can read about, has this, this, inner, this underlying idea of this exchange, right? There, there's the, the persistent widow who's knocking on the door, right? She's coming with nothing. She has nothing in her hands and needs flour, right? And yeah, you walk away and you say, that, that, that's parables about persistence, and it is. It's a great thing to pull away from it. But you also see this idea that she came with nothing and gave it, had the exchange and walked away with something, right? Uh, he goes throughout, he tells more stories. The, 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 the Pharisee that prays out loud in the synagogue, oh, great is me, I've given, look at all that I've given, you know, versus the, the tax collector in the corner who's just beating his chest like I'm, I'm nobody. If you could show grace to me, I'll take it. God grants and blesses and gives grace to that person. It's the great exchange. And then we have this story. Your Bible might have a title where it says the rich young ruler and it's found in Luke chapter 18, verses 18. It says this, a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all of these things I've kept from my youth, Jesus. Like, I've check marked all of it. I am, I'm, I'm the most pious, I'm the best, I'm the holiest you could see, man. I've been working hard for this. And he said to them, just like Jesus does, that insight, that, that ability to see past all the crud. And he says, hey man, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. It's a two-part thing. Let go of this and take hold of this. It's the great exchange. It's the proposal that he's given right in front of his face. And here's what he says. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Now, before you think, oh, this is about money and money is the love of money. This has nothing to do with money. Money just happened to be the one thing that this guy was holding on to still. And God is saying, give it to me, man. I just, you don't understand what it's doing. If you just hand it over to me, guess what? I'll give you in exchange. I said, come follow me. When a rabbi does that, he does that to a disciple. Come and follow me, spend your days with me, learn from me, you'll be right by my side. Come and follow me, exchange it. Why is it, like the rich young ruler, why is it that we always seem to focus on what we're giving up more than what God is giving us back? Right? Because we come to this place, 
you know, and, and, and once again, the trust may be hard, right? We, we're, our identity's wrapped around this. We don't know what this, what this guy carried, but we do know this, that he walked away and we don't even have a name for him. Do you want to be that person? Do you want to be that person that walks away and, and goes, I could have, I could have walked next to Jesus if I would have just let this go. My daughter, Hannah, she's, I love her to death. She's getting ready to go to Bible school and, you know, time flies. It goes so quickly. Um, but I remember when she was two or three years old, um, we used to give her uh, as a snack, goldfish crackers. How many of you guys got your goldfish cracker with you? Perfect. Pull that out. Um, she loved goldfish crackers so much, in fact, that she gave it a nickname. Uh, she called it Go-Go's. <laughs> that was her two-year-old version of goldfish. So lots of Go-Go's was always on demand in our house, okay? A Costco box <laughs> of Go-Go's was on steady demand. And, and one particular morning, I was watching her, and, and she wanted some Go-Go's, and I opened up the bin foolishly, just let her have whatever she wanted. And she stuffs two hands in like this. It just walks out, and I'm like, eh, it's, mom's not here, you know? <laughs> Get away with it, maybe. You want some cake with that? No. <laughs> Uh, and she takes it, and, and we're about to go out into our backyard uh, to play. She had this play set, just nothing, you know, huge or big, or it was just one of those little tykes, I think, or little people, something like that. I can't remember, but uh, little something. And uh, it had a little bit of stairs and then just a simple slide that went about, and it was maybe this high. It was nothing, nothing huge. Um, she loved this thing, man. Oh, she would play on that thing for hours and hours and hours and hours. Up and down, up and down, up and down. Except for this one morning. She went running just like she usually does to this playhouse, this uh, slide. And all of a sudden, she's got an issue where she can't climb up this ladder. She's got two handfuls of these go-go's. And... Um, She's trying her elbows and she's trying with her feet and she's doing everything that a little kid can try to do to get up this while still holding her, her go-go's. And, and finally, as a dad, I had to come over because I could see in her eyes she was getting frustrated. You know, the tears began to come and you're like, man, the things that a little kid thinks is such a big deal, right? You know, wow, just perspective changes so much. And I went down as a father and I had to bend down. I said, Hannah, come here. And, and I took her hands and she, by then they're mixed with sweat and dirt and they were just these giant nasty kind of balls. And <laughs> I wiped them off and I threw it on the floor, like just like nothing. And I looked in her eyes, I said, you can go now, you can do this. And she jumped on the slide and she went down it and she ran out and she got up the slide again. And she did it another hundred times. Later that night, I was talking with God, and, and I, I heard him tell me, Jake, you know that's you? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, you see this thing in your life? That's like that goldfish. You're holding on to it, man. You're grasping on it, and you're trying to move forward to grow with me, to walk with me, and I'm telling you, it's not working, <laughs> And the only way you're going to get past that is if you let that go. All the prayers that you've prayed, God, take me to the next level. God, I want to experience you like I've, I know that I can. And God's going, I want to do that with you. I really do. But I can't do anything when you're holding on to this still. Would you let it go? You have no idea what I'm offering in exchange. Bring your mourning, not your, not, when I say mourning, not the healthy mourning, okay? But when I bring your mourning, bring your, bring your sadness, bring your weaknesses, I'm gonna give you strength. Give me your broke down, disgusted bloodline and watch what I can do with it. I'll give you royalty, man. I'll give you a calling and a purpose that you've never thought of. But you gotta let go and you gotta lay it down. Come to me all who are weary, for I will give you rest. The greatest gift of all, 
the greatest exchange that we could ever take part of is when Jesus went to the cross. Because you know that was my cross. I deserve that cross. You deserve that cross. It was our cross. We earned it. We worked for that. We deserved it. And yet he said, give me this and I'll take it. Normally I'd say Jesus is the worst barter in the world. (laughs) But the truth is, is he's not after those things. He's after your heart. That's why he does this. Because it always comes back to you and him. Come to me all who are broken and weary. I will give you rest. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you life. Give me that hard heart and I'll I'll give you a soft one. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to close with this worship song, which I think is very fitting for what we're talking about. In your hand, whether you have it or not, you could still participate, is this goldfish cracker. And I'm going to ask you just this simple question. What is your goldfish? What is the thing in your life that you're still holding on to? You thought it was... You know, I could give 99% and still hold this one part. I'm telling you, you're missing out. You're missing out. And so I want to ask you that question. What is that goldfish to you? And as we sing this song, I want you to contemplate that, wrestle with that. What is that one thing that I tend to hold on to or go back to and pick up again? And what do I need to let go today? And normally we do kind of one thing where you bring it all up or we do something with it, but I'm gonna just leave it to you and the Holy Spirit. You take that goldfish for some of you, maybe you need to just lay it on the altar here. Maybe some of you need to just throw it in the trash as you walk out of here. Maybe some of you need to find a quiet spot where you're at right now and bend over and just pray, God, I need to let go of this. Maybe some of you need to hold on to it and think about it some more. Take it home and contemplate it. Whatever it is, be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Father, as you come here today, we don't want to be reserved. You offer this, and so we're going to take it. Imagine, God, what this church could be like if we could all walk into that next level, to that next season of ours, without any hindrances holding us back. Bring freedom, God. Bring freedom in your name. Let's worship, guys.
just thank him that he takes all of our burdens and he exchanges them for everything that he carries. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before. For he 